If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. Today with me is Steve Munnishan, Head of Global Marketing at Push Live, and we're going to be discussing how to monetize your live streamed content. I know live streaming is top of mind for a lot of our listeners, a lot of our clients, a lot of our prospects, and just a lot of people in the marketing world. And so it made sense to bring in the year with an episode about live content. Before we get into the detail of monetizing live streamed content, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, well, um, I run the global global marketing for Push Live. Um, we're a live streaming business that's probably been in market for around sort of five years now. Um, up until the past few years, we've sort of been behind the scenes a lot, working with sort of big music and entertainment brands to power their live streaming and to really help them go further than what they thought was possible. So. Um, Boiler Room, I don't know if you heard of Boiler Room, but it's a massive EDM um, live experience, music live experience brand. Um, Our technology has been powering them for the past few years. And we've been working with like the big, big festivals and lots of big artists to help them sort of bring their live content to life. And we've been doing really well and working with a lot of people, but then the global pandemic hit and, you know, we were going through this sort of period of... um, education really like trying to teach people about live streaming and and help them sort of pivot into that space brands especially and also you know content owners and rights holders to look at that space more but the pandemics have really accelerated people's understanding of live streaming and henceforth like last year and sort of this year we sort of have really accelerated what we've been doing and sort of our growth as a, as a company hence we sort of um, are doing a lot more PR and a lot more marketing now because there are a lot more opportunity to do that and to help the world understand what live streaming can actually do for them. Mm, that's really interesting, actually. And I haven't thought about it until this moment, but I've spoken a lot in 2020 about the pandemic and its impact on marketing and business. And I've spoken a lot about the trends and the marketing trends that that's impacted. Um, and that's included a lot related to podcasting. Podcasting is going through this new you know, third or fourth boom in its history. I've seen a lot of people start video projects, but the one thing I haven't discussed on this podcast more recently is the that's also the same trend has been seen in live streaming. I've seen so many people commit to say, right, this is the year I'm going to sit down, I'm going to convert my office into somewhere where I can do some video content, push that live, and just build that project that I've had in the back of my mind for a while. So is it fair to say that you're seeing that same kind of push 
from creators and brands? Yes, definitely. And I think we've always had um, a big role in the gaming world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the group that we're sort of part of has a, has a big section that sort of focuses on, on gaming, working with brands like EA and Xbox. And, you know, to the point where we have studios in our offices where we do all of Xbox's sort of Twitch work live every day and stuff like that. So live streaming was always something that we were really passionate about and, you know, we're de- developing technology that could really sort of accelerate that and the gaming world has just been brilliant at sort of leading the way in this and you know young people adopting their own sort of sort of programs and studios on twitter building businesses for themselves um taking control of sort of their content and and becoming entertainers understanding how they can monetize and market themselves on those platforms that was something that we've always sort of been involved in and always taken note of and with the pandemic as it came in, some of the sort of slow to react sort of industries suddenly became really interested in it. Like um, we were doing some good work in the music industry before the pandemic, but you know, pretty much the day it happened, we got a call from Diplo. We wanted to all of a sudden do a you know four streams a week live across his channels, you know, engaging his different audiences under his different sort of characters, from Major Laser to Thomas Wesley and stuff like that. So all of a sudden artists who you know were sort of holding their sort of performances close to their chest you know uh, really only giving it away in a live setting um physical live setting suddenly you thought wow where's my income going to come how am i going to engage these audiences that i have built so much time um connecting with and live streaming became something that was really necessary for them and then from that from diplo and from from his sort of community it sort of just spread out and Saw a lot of stuff um, early on with, you know, the, the sort of live from home virtual sort of concerts that were being run across big broadcasters and stuff globally. But actually there was a real undercurrent of creators and stuff like that that were, were stepping into live streaming on their own platforms and, you know, not just looking at ways they can connect with audiences but thinking about how they can actually make a living doing it. Um, and that's sort of what we've been helping people do over the past 12 to 12 months building on the work we did the couple of years before that yeah that's really interesting in terms of well number one everybody wants a call from someone like diplo that's not a bad call to get so i bet you, I bet you enjoyed that one also just the other yeah, music industry and how the pandemic has inter- impacted performing arts and i've been really impressed at some of the creativity shown by musicians and i'm a big hip-hop fan and so one thing that i've really enjoyed throughout the pandemic it, well throughout 2020 was the versus battles which was a company founded by timbaland and swiss beats i think they live streamed primarily through instagram i don't know if they worked on any other platforms but the principle of what you're saying is something that i've seen throughout the music industry and as i sit here with you today in early january i expect that to continue throughout the year so i suspect you're going to get plenty more calls like that and branching from music into things like comedy. I think I remember reading somewhere that you worked with Deaf Comedy Jam as well. So I suspect you're going to be seeing more of that. One thing I am really curious about is that I think I, and in general, probably our listeners too, understand live streaming in terms of going live on Facebook, going live on Instagram, uh, using Periscope, which I know is about to be shut down soon, or going live on each individual platform. But I'm aware of programs or software like Restream that feels like the biggest player in that market to me. I want to understand a little bit more about how your service, your software differs from a company like Restream. Could you maybe speak on that a little? Yeah. So our our product is, is very, very different, mm-hmm. but also the same. 
So Restream is a fantastic platform for multi-streaming to multiple destinations. So if you're doing a, a live event, you know, you can stream it out to as many sort of destinations, 30-odd, um, as you like. Our platform is unique in our sort of USB is that um, a, one live event can be streamed into push or fed into push, ingested, and then in the cloud we can render and customise each of the output versions. So one live performance comes to us and then that can be sent out to an unlimited number of destinations, each with customized graphics, language, advertising, video um, on demand, video like VT elements. Basically, all the bits around the live, which sort of makes it come to life, can be customized. So what that allows is the creator to be much more versatile in how they reach audiences. Now, if, you've, if you're live streaming through your own channel, you have a fixed audience there. And, you know, if you've got a large audience, then you've got them there ready to be engaged. If you're streaming through a platform like Twitch, um, there's an audience that exists in that platform, but you have to sort of fight for your share of that audience in order to, by getting noticed or by being outstanding in some way. What we do is work with the live content creator to really understand where their potential audience is. So, you know, they may be a musician or in a band, for example. Their fans on their social media are really important, so you want to engage them. But that's not to say that there aren't other fans, potential fans of that band that exist globally. So what if that band connected with other bands in similar in other markets that had sort of a similar similar sound? What if all of a sudden that band could stream their live content through partner channels or influencer channels and engaging those audiences then all of a sudden they have the opportunity to open up their audience but you can't just stream through partner channels or influencer channels um, with generic content so no one's going to give you their audience for free no one's going to say hey i'll just run your live event on my channel and hope that my audience likes it what the channel owners want is the ability to tailor and customize that content for their own audience so all of a sudden you've got a live event um, and then you've got all these channels you want to stream to and you can customise the content for those channels. All of a sudden the content feels native to the channels that you're streaming to and the audience that is being built up on those channels don't immediately reject it. They actually they think it, they, they feel like it's something that is familiar to them and they sort of embrace it. So the ability to customise the content for the output channels is really, really important. And also... We work more, less like a, a SaaS business where you can sort of click and use it. It's We were more of a managed service and the managed service piece comes in with the expertise that we bring on identifying that audience for you, building an appointment to view because the appointment to view is so important in live. The thing about live is that it really doesn't exist if anyone's no one's watching it, right? So you can go live and send it out to the world, but if you've got one viewer, then what's the point really? You know what I mean? So you have to, the same as any marketing campaign, you have to do a lot of work in the promotion to build that audience to ensure that when you go live, you have that maximum impact. Mm. And the thing about live is, as opposed to VOD, live brings this sort of sense of emotion that you can't get from video on demand. But if you and I are watching a YouTube clip and we're watching it at different times, we might watch the same video but the fact that it's not happening then, right now, in that moment, 
you sort of the the emotional connection to that content is a little bit different because you're not experiencing it per se you're just watching it when you're in the live moment there's this real heightened sense of emotion especially with things like music and sport where in music you know especially watching a live concert those different songs can elicit different reactions from you. The way that the band interacts with you can elicit their different feelings. Um, you may have connections to certain songs. In sport, there are big moments that sort of you can't anticipate that are unplanned that all of a sudden spark emotional reactions in the audience. And that's why live is so important that if you can, if you can focus on understanding your audience, knowing what, how they're behaving, when they've got those emotional reactions coming through, you can actually build a really solid live entertainment concept that you can that you can build around it. Yeah, that's really interesting in terms of the emotional part because with live streaming, when it appears in your feed, there's that ten number one, when it appears in your feed, you don't want to miss out. So the immediate feeling is just a as a browser, as an audience of a person or of as a brand, you have that feeling of FOMO. You don't want to miss out on whatever's about to be presented. You want to be the first there. I think that's just something that's inbuilt within our society. But then, as you said, once you're engaged and in that stream and in that world, we're all looking for different experiences. And so perhaps, particularly because of the pandemic, and we're all looking for different experience or experiences or ways to replicate offline experiences, um, and I'm sure we'll come on to this in a moment. You've probably seen some really interesting ways of how artists, brands are using that emotional element of live streaming to further engage with their audience and maybe even to market or sell products and services. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's something we'll come on to in a moment. But before we go into that, though, you touched at the beginning on an increase in demand, perhaps within the gaming sector and just seeing what you're seeing in the gaming sector. I think you also t- well, you touched on music and some examples of your work there and maybe even comedy as well. In general, over this last year or so, the trends in live stream content, where are you seeing demand for your particular product? Or just out in the wild, where are you seeing the trends in live streaming? Music is, is where a lot of the like, revolution is sort of taking place. Now, you know, the music industry, artists especially, have had it tough over the past sort of couple of decades really you know the introduction of streaming platforms the you know inability to sort of sell records and make revenue from that so much of their revenue comes from touring that's where they really make their their sort of sort of income and we've also seen at sort of the at the lower levels you know the introductory sort of you know younger stages of the music industry there's not a lot of venues where you know bands and stuff can actually apply their trade and get noticed and build a following these days like it's not, it's not like it was before where, you know, it was abandoned every every second pub sort of around the place. So with the pandemic coming in, it's made it very, very difficult for the sort of music industry to press on. Not, you know, and they're a big part of the live event industry. If you look at festivals and shows and stuff like that, that's not, it's not just the artists that can't make money. It's the whole industry around it that, that sort of are suffering as part of it. And so, you know, we've seen a lot, a lot of the sort of, usually slow to react music industry types understanding that live streaming could be really their sort of saviour. Um, and to, they were really interested in coming out of the pandemic with a new model where digital can be as or more profitable than physical. So that's not to say that physical isn't 
absolutely imperative, like physical live events are probably the most important thing that we sort of want back because of that, you know, that feeling of community and that sense of connection that comes from it. But if you can start to build in digital solutions around that, your potential to make money increases exponentially. That's just because your ability to have a larger audience increases exponentially. You know, and while you might be doing a sold out gig at the O2, you can, if you're going live digitally at the same time, you know, that 15,000 people who paid for a physical ticket could be dwarfed by the, you know, 1.2 million people that might actually buy a digital ticket at, you know, mm. a fraction of the cost. But then when you have those people in that digital landscape, you know, you want to be able to monetize them. And that's where you sort of draw inspiration from the gaming industry where, you know, you build big audiences by, you know, actually offering something at low cost or, or sort of free. And then you can, you know, engage those audiences with microtransactions. You know, you, you don't have to be selling big value items to be making money. You can do lots of small value items to a bigger audience. And I think that's really the opportunity for the music industry moving forward and, and for the other sort of live event industries is understanding how these different models and, and what models right for them and then how they can actually build revenue and monetization elements and stuff around it. As you're talking, it also reminds me of, you, you talked at the very beginning of the podcast about how it's exciting to see young people come up and kind of build careers and monetize their streams in the, in the gaming world. And that's something I'm really excited by too. I really like watching all the experimentation that's happening right now with live streaming of gaming and esports and and that whole industry that's growing. It's quite an exciting place to to be. But I was thinking as you were talking about the musician part of that as well. And I know this is, he's a really famous example. You know, not every musician is able to achieve this, but I think it's going to become easier and more of the norm. But Travis Scott, the US hip hop artist, it last year he collaborated with Fortnite, the game, and they had an in-game live stream concert. And I can't remember, the figures are crazy. I'll link to it in the show notes. I can't, I don't, I I wouldn't even be able to guess what the figures are now because they're into the tens of millions in terms of how many people watch that. But that kind of thing is what I'm seeing starting to be replicated across not only lots of video games and lots of platforms, but in terms of in-game live streams from musicians as well. So it's very meta because it's the two things that you're talking about combined. And I've started to see a lot of that. And actually, in terms of what you're seeing, I'm interested to go into a little bit more detail about the actual live streams themselves and whether that's musicians or whether that's other performers or other brands. Can you maybe speak a little on the two things, really, the engagement techniques? So how are you seeing artists or brands or creators utilize live streams to engage their audiences? And then second to that, maybe some interesting monetization examples? Yeah, sure. I think the, the, the models that we set up, we basically have these sort of two models. And one is a, a model where um, you can you take the, the single stream and you stream it out to multiple destinations. And each of those destinations is target audiences and you build around that. And there's a second model, which usually works hand in hand with the first, which is our live interactive player with live marketplace that exists within it which is sort mm. of a closed ecosystem sort of pay-per-view type sort of ecosystem sort of that that you move people to the promotion piece comes in maximizing audience and maximizing the right audience that are targeted so you know what we do and what the how we work is is basically we build out a sort of a promotional sort of program but that promotional program is built around live content as much as the 
main output is. And, you know, we work with bands and, you know, for instance, we work with bands and their fan fan clubs and their different sort of fan pages to give those those channels who are, you know, really bought into that band experience the opportunity to, to interact with their heroes and stream live content as promotional content for digital shows. So something like that drives sort of mass awareness in people that are highly engaged. At the same time, because you have this sort of asset, you can be sharing that with media, traditional media outlets, you know, digital outlets online where you can be giving them access to live content so that their audience becomes aware of what's going on. And that's how we sort of build out the promo piece and sort of and raise that awareness. Like, you know, if you're the biggest artist in the world, if they decided to give away their content for free, they could potentially reach billions of people online simultaneously. You know, there's there's no limit that in terms of what you know what can stop them because of the you know six degrees of separation that exists in social. One person sharing one one piece of content, another person sharing another piece of content, you can potentially hit a global audience with that, and that's something. That model is something we adopted late last year when we worked with the um, Democratic National Convention. So Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were um, accepting the nomination from the Democratic Party and we worked with their digital team and we built out a model for them basically to help them sort of raise their connections with uh, a broader audience. I think the TV audience for the conventions has traditionally sort of begun to fall rapidly and you know they wanted to sort of connect with the audience digitally so what we did is worked with um the dnc and we offered everyone that was a supporter of the dnc um the opportunity to um nominate their own social channels as broadcast platforms for the conference so each night of the of the conference different people ranging from you know supporter groups in arizona through to mayor pete Buttigieg to Barack Obama gave up their social platforms to run that content. So we ingested the main feed and then shared that out through those different, all those social platforms each night, reaching those different audiences. So by, by taking that main feed and then, and then using these other platforms, we were able to really sort of connect with um, a really broad social audience of people that are getting the content through the pages they trust, not necessarily the news outlets or the TV channels that were covering sort of that convention and that model can be used across any event you know what I mean to um to raise that sort of awareness you know as long as you can identify and as long as you can partner with the right channels to reach the audiences that you are you know that really want to engage Mm. as you're talking the first thing that comes to mind for me are festivals thinking about actually the first festival that came to mind was Glastonbury and all of those disappointed Glastonbury goers that wanted to go this year and maybe next year in theory, based on what you're saying, what you could do is Glastonbury could, you know, they take that whole festival lineup and in theory you could live stream to every artist in that festival lineup to recreate Glastonbury across the breadth of all of those profiles of all of those artists that everyone can access Glastonbury via the individual artists that would have been in the lineup. Well, that's exactly what we did for EDC Mexico in March last year. So just before the pandemic, we went went out to Mexico City and worked with Insomniac, who's an amazing festival promoter. They run EDC, which is, you know, ginormous. So we worked with them to help them build out their digital strategy. And 
ultimately they we built 87 different curated festival feeds that were shared out across 87 channels of the artists of their brand sponsors um, of their own pages of media channels um, and each of those different streams came from the different stages that were happening and each different page got a specific stream that was customized to their audience for instance their major sponsor just equis um they had two streams, one that featured alcohol branding, which is for a plus 18 audience, one that didn't, but also they had their own branding and all their advertising throughout their streams that were shared on their own channels. Um, while then some of the artists like Tiesto and Armin Van Buren just fed their own sets through their own channels at any one time, whereas other artists sort of selected the artists that they were the most passionate about and curated their own mini festival experience for their fans and stuff as well. So that sort of thing is is really powerful and you know for the results there like you know EDC Mexico I think the the sort of previous three years their cumulative digital audience was something around three million um, mm-hmm. and then last year for, for the work that we did you know amplify that up to sort of 13 million sort of thing so just by building out those sort of digital feeds and the cost of using push and the cost of partnering with us is is it sounds like, oh, my God, that could be expensive, but it's the exact opposite because it all operates in the cloud and all of this um, activation, you know, from a festival point of view and from, like, a live point of view, you could do it using traditional sort of broadcast methods, but it actually requires a huge amount of, like, technical infrastructure to be brought in, you know, OB trucks and huge amounts of cabling, lots of operators, um, different sort of encoders, all this sort of technical stuff. But because we can do it in the cloud and actually, you know, EDC Mexico and most of the events, we operate remotely on a laptop here in London. Because it happens, it can all happen sort of in that space. You don't require any you know, huge amounts of staffing. You don't require huge amounts of infrastructure. It actually is, is cost effective. It's really like you can actually do more for substantially, substantially less money each time, which is what I think um, – uh, is quite appealing to the, to the festivals and stuff like that because their margins are getting squeezed every single year, um, you know, and they're looking for new and innovative ways that they can add value to sponsors, connect with more fans, and you know, really promote their brand in the digital space. And I think that's something that you know we found um, has worked really well. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Yeah, as you're talking, it's building up a picture of Push Live to me. So it sounds like there's both the consultancy and strategic arm of what you do. So helping to plan both the leverage of partnerships and collaborations to broadcast, to really broaden the depth of your broadcast and to expose a broadcast to the most people possible. So it's the technical expertise of making sure that each stream is customized to each specific profile across each channel. And then there's the monetization aspect of it as well, which I want to get into a little bit more. So then it's the how to, for some of these creators making money from their streams. And I assume just kicking off this part of the conversation, I assume that a lot of these are monetized events. So people buy tickets for exclusivity, as in these aren't on demand, these are one-off events. But can you maybe speak a little bit more on how some of these these brands that you work with, how they monetize their streams? Is a lot of it through tickets and online ticket selling? Are there any examples of in-stream selling? And something that comes to mind, for example, is I've seen more in the marketing world, webinars that will try and upsell you during a conference or during a webinar. Is that something that happens in more creative industries that you've seen from like music? Well, to be honest, um, you know, ticketing is sort of the primary sort of monetization so far, but that's because of the limitations that most of the sort of tools that, that are on offer, you know, have. Um, you know, what we're excited about, and this, we're about to launch it in sort of in January, end of January, start of February, is our um, interactive play with Live Marketplace where you can actually physically purchase products in the live stream while watching the sort of show. And that's something that, you know, is not necessarily um, available through, you know, most other sort of platforms. And I think that's that that's a really strong way for bands and music and um, anyone that has a live event to mm. connect with their audience. But you can't just sell to them, you know. You can't just, like, you know, be pushy and have this sort of um, hot, pick and mix type sort of, you know, buying sort of program. You have to be really smart with it. You have to create exclusive items, you know, whether that's a T-shirt that's only for that one event or, you know, assets and stuff around it that the audience will see real value in, you know what I mean, so that they feel like they're not being sold to but they're being given um, an opportunity to participate and purchase. And I think we use the example internally a lot of, you know, a lot of us buy spend far too many, much money on sneakers, but the Nike sneakers app where, you know, most days I'll put a, a new sneaker on there and create and create this false demand for it, like the fact that you can only buy it now and you can only buy it on this certain time and there's only a limited edition number and once you've got once if you don't get it, you don't get it sort of thing. You know, that, that's how sort of consumers behave. But the the opportunities for monetization, you know, some of the, the for people who are doing live events, some of the biggest opportunities come in brand partnerships and sponsorships. The opportunity for brands to partner with um, artists and content creators, whether that's or, or sports teams or whoever's doing the live event, is something that you know is really compelling. And the ability for a brand to connect with the right audience and then to speak to them in a, in, in, a, in the right way is, is something that's really powerful. And trust, moving forward, brands could be the saviors of the live industry because 
they could see that this is their opportunity to go deeper on their connection with audiences. Mm. So, you know, this is a hypothetical example, but why can't Coke attach themselves to the happy moments in a music show? You know, why can't, if all of a sudden, if you're customising each of the different streams for the different audiences, all of a sudden you could be, you know, connecting with like um, 15 to 18-year-old girls who are based in North America and targeting them with your product and know, and know because of the categorization that you're not getting as much wastage in your, in your advertising. So I think I'll circle back a bit because I think I've, I sort of took a couple of steps too far there. So the opportunity for um, artists in the live space with the ability to customize their content, if you think about it this way, if, if you've got your live event, then all of a sudden, you can live stream that out to the world, but you can live stream that in a way you can tailor that for, let's say, 10 different categorized audiences. Mm-hmm. Those categorizations may be um, geo, like geolocation, they may be language, they may be um, other demographics and stuff around that you're building. So all of a sudden, you can build a matrix out of who your, tar- who, who your audiences are and sort of build them into a grid and understand how they're categorized. Once you know those categories, you can think about what brands might want to might want to speak directly to those audiences and, you know, based on an understanding of how big those audiences will be in the live space, you can then go and sell sponsorships or advertising in your live stream against against those audiences. So for an artist, if you think the bigger artist, think, think about Taylor Swift, she could be selling her live concert taking place, say, in Austin, Texas, for example. She could be doing a live event where there's 10,000 people attending. She could decide that she wants to do a digital version of that and then she wants to sell that digital version to different sponsors. In Europe or in the UK, McDonald's might want to be the major sponsor of it. They might want to do a music event, Taylor Swift, and bring it to, the, bring it to UK audiences and build their advertising around it. In South Korea, Samsung. May, may want to be the, the lead sponsor of it. In Australia, Coke may want to be the lead sponsor of it. All of a sudden, Taylor Swift, who might have had one major sponsor, can now actually sell three major sponsorships and she can make make her um, live experience feel like it's personalised for each of those different brands. So those brands aren't getting a generic feed from Taylor Swift. They're getting a, a feed that feels like it's it's especially for them. McDonald's has their branding all around it. Their advertising is, is is built into it. You know, the the graphics and stuff like that and the different sort of on-screen mechanisms are tailored to that brand. Um, you know, it can be, you know, the different brand can actually be doing, working across multiple markets. So all of a sudden languages and stuff can be different and customised. Different store pricings and stuff can be added in, links to local market websites and stuff like that. So you sort of have this one event that gets this sort of supercharged element to it where it sort of becomes a little bit like exponentially bigger. And then you can think about, okay, what's the revenue opportunities around that in the sort of brand and sponsorship piece? So for big artists, there's massive, massive opportunities and stuff around that. You know, and the same with sports, you know, sports, sports rights holders, you know, have been using traditional models of broadcast and, you know, media rights ownership for a long time but with the globalization of sport and especially you know sort of the, the main sort of sports leagues around the world there's an opportunity to not hand away 
your rights to a to a media rights like sort of broadcaster who can then build the profitability around it but you can take ownership of your own content and then you can look at where the profitability can be and then you know rather than selling something for three billion you know over the course of the year there's no nothing saying that you can't make five billion if you build the models and stuff correctly so that's sort of they're the sort of conversations that we're having with sort of um, different people across the spectrum about where the monetization opportunities and stuff are. That's really interesting. And uh, this is why I love podcasts like this, when you think about a topic live, like live streaming, and I think about it fairly linear at the moment. So I think about, I've, I've thought about live streaming in terms of streaming across multiple platforms, but then I haven't thought so much about, you know, I've seen collaborative live streams between one or two people, but not. An, we're talking that scaled up by 10. So we're talking about whole networks of people, whole brands, uh, and even, like you said, different geographical locations. So I think the thing that comes to mind, everything that you've said paints a really clear picture to me. And, uh, and so my thought right now is, why isn't everyone doing that? And so I guess when, what are the technical limitations of this right now? I know that's ultimately what Push Live are here to do to solve that problem or one of the, one of the things you're here to do. But, but could you maybe explain to me what is preventing that from happening now for more people and more brands? What obstacles do you come up against when you're, when you're working with new brands or it just may be speaking to new prospects? I think this is really new. You know, I think the ability to, um, work out, you know, the best kind of campaign, the best kind of storytelling, the best kind of audience engagement in this space. Mm. Not a lot of people are doing it well. So there's not, there aren't these sort of models necessary to follow. I think we've seen um, some really good work by AB InBev in um, South America and Latin America are doing some really, really good work um, in this area that we've partnered with them where, you know, they work with big artists in those regions, they put on concerts, and then they attach different beer brands to those concerts relevant to the local market where those beer brands are most prominent. So like Bolivia and Ecuador and um, Brazil and Argentina will all have different brands that are bringing that content piece. So a brand is seen and saying, well, I can I can centralise my budget here. I can... I can I can talk to all all of these audiences by doing one event, but I can make it feel like each local market has its own um, vibe going on, sort of thing. So it doesn't feel like it's just you know one size fits all. I think brands generally, you know, uh, don't necessarily think, oh, let's just jump in and and do this. You know, what I mean, it, it takes a bit of negotiation. It takes you know their agencies, especially, to sort of um, really sort of understand what's possible and then to sort of you know the agencies uh play a big role because they really understand the brand so well but they're also really ambitious about you know what how they can help a brand you know go really far forward um and you know if once once everyone sort of understands the possibilities in live streaming and to be honest you know i don't want to sound like um it's push live but you know you can't do a lot of this stuff with anyone else so Mm. No one's been talking about doing a lot of this stuff because it's physically not possible. So now we're bringing in these new ideas and new models um, around it. It's just a matter of sort of education and engagement and then working closely with people to show them what's possible. And I think, you know, um, we're, you know, a good medium-sized team with, um, you know, people in sort of Los Angeles, London and Australia, but there's only so many of us that can sort of 
talk to people sort of things. That's why these sort of things like, you know, these podcasts and stuff are really good because you can sort of give people a flavour about, you know, what's possible and hopefully, you know, get them excited and come up with their own ideas, which um, brands like us can help them execute. No, that's what I was thinking, actually. I was smiling as you were talking, thinking to myself, well, essentially that's what things like this podcast are for, to share the awareness of new opportunities like this. And you want to be, if you're a marketer, an early adopter of technology, if you've got the ability to. And there's a lot of what you said that makes sense to me. And it's kind of coming together in my mind, the principles of influencer marketing and also then just live streaming. And if you combine that and broadcast networks. So if you combine those things, then you essentially get you're essentially in the direction of what you've been talking about today. The other thing actually that comes to mind, sorry, is that a lot of what you're saying makes sense if you're relatively big brands already and not from a monetary perspective, so not because of budget, but because it makes sense to leverage each other's audiences. But I guess what I'm struggling to understand right now is maybe the benefits to a smaller creator or a smaller company have you seen any examples or could you maybe speak on why is it possible to still achieve great results as a smaller creator or as a smaller medium businesses using this kind of technology? Or would you say right now it's reserved for those larger corporations? No, no, I think I think smaller and medium people will see more benefit from it. I think we talk about the larger ones because they're sort of easier to model out and easier sort of to explain because, you know, you, you can talk about that sort of big picture stuff, but mm you know, it's just really smart digital strategy that you need here. Like there, there's an audience out there for every brand and an audience out there for sort of every content creator. Like that's the beauty of the digital space right now is that no matter what you like or are into or how, what you're creating, there are people that are out there that will follow you and engage with you. You just have to find them. Um, finding them is the difficult part. I mean, letting them know that you that you exist is the difficult part. And, you know, but it's all about sort of how do you access that community and how do you use that community to, to tell your story. And, you know, that's where, you know, sharing, live streaming, using those different platforms, using those different channels can really sort of come to the fore. So it's not so much a, a plug and play where someone can go, hey, I'm going, I'm going to use push tomorrow and I'm going to all of a sudden become big. You need to do, you need to do the work, you need to do the thinking around it. But, you know, Digital strategy is something that is more native to, to the more, more younger people sort of thing as, as they come through. They've grown up in this sort of world of, of Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that. So they know you need to be entrepreneurial. They know you need to, you know, think laterally and, you know, you need to try different things. Um, and now it's just about showing them that, you know, there are these different models that they can try. And ultimately it's going to be, you know, it's going to be our clients and our partners that sort of push the boundaries of what, what they can do in this space you know we want people to come to us with some crazy ideas about you know how they want to amplify you know a piece of content or a live experience or tell a story or make some money and Mm -hmm. challenge you know us and our team to come up with a a working solution for them and i think you know that can come from the the higher end brands but it's also more likely to come from you know people in that sort of middle to small area they're looking for something exciting that they can sort of be disruptive with. That's brilliant. And I guess the principles of monetization are applicable regardless of size. So going back to those and going kind of summarizing what we've discussed here in this episode, we've talked about ticketing. So exclusive ticketing to live events. And that's whether it's for the live event itself or for the live event and a replay. 
you threw in there as you were discussing sponsorships, so just sponsoring live streams. We talked about selling merchandise or upselling depending on your sector. So there's the potential to sell within a live event, and maybe that's going to become easier as we move forward. The one thing we didn't discuss, actually, which is a big part of the live streaming world from what I've seen, is creating live streamed content, which is then behind something like Patreon. So, you know, you sign up to a podcast or you sign up to a YouTuber and once a week they'll do a live stream, a Q&A, something like that. It's a singular platform. But that's one thing that we haven't touched on, which is another monetization strategy for live streaming. Is there anything else you've seen just as we're summarizing that part of the episode? No, I think I think there's there's different ways. Like we talk about live stream as like an entertainment piece, um, a part of this this sort of interview, this piece. But it's also um, you know you can you can do very sort of corporate elements and stuff with it as well. You know we've done quite a bit of work with um, you know gaming brands and music brands, not on actually doing like live content performances, but private events where journalists or sort of key stakeholders get you know, individualized logins and watermarked screens. So, you know, for instance, you would get your own personal login and on your screen, your name and your email address would rotate around on that screen, customized specifically for you. Where So then you can share, um, you know, sensitive information, embargoed information. You can create, you know, much more sort of higher end sort of private experiences that way as well. Um, so that's something that we're sort of seeing, um, some more like PR and sort of brand side of things working in, and, and that's something that can be adopted at sort of the corporate level. So not everything has to be public. You know, a lot of the time it can be private, and live streaming doesn't have to be this you know entertainment platform. It can just be functional as well. So there there are other ways that you can sort of build in sort of not necessarily monetization, but the value. Before we let you go, I'm curious to know with anyone in this space the live streams that you watch. So just you personally outside of push, is there anything that stands out to you as either a brand or a creator that just does that's really good at engaging their audience through live streams or has something unique to offer in the live streaming world? I watch a lot of Twitch to be honest. Um so yeah, I, I having worked in gaming quite a bit, I sort of yeah, I still love my video games. So I, I'm I'm always watching Twitch creators. So there's a number of those guys, especially around sort of Apex Legends and that sort of game that that I really enjoy. Sort of other live streams like you know, I'm 41 years old, so I have certain bands that I'm super passionate about. So if they're doing something live, I'll I'll definitely get on board. But you know, my repertoire of new music isn't growing as fast as it used to. Brilliant. And yeah, before we let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, more about Push Live and where they can connect with you? Yeah. So push.live is our website. If you go there, you can sort of you know see what we've been talking about. It's a bit laid out sort of nice and simply in terms of the different um, opportunities and stuff that you can do in live streaming, especially in music and sport. And then, yeah, my email is um, stevem at push.live if anyone wants to sort of contact me directly. Brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for your time today, Steve. And um, yeah, to our listeners, if you are experimenting with live streaming, you're curious to learn more, go check out Push Live, send us an email, let us know what you're doing, tweet us. Yeah, we'd love to see what you're experimenting with or just thinking about today's topic, where you think live streaming might go into the future. Thanks so much for your time, Steve. Thank you.
If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.